Hey everyone, it's Tom Kradza, and on this episode of the Your Life, Your Terms show, I sit down with Mike DeZormo of the Rockstar team and Jatinder Gill. He's a Rockstar member and a very active real estate investor. He met us, I think, by listening to podcasts like this, as he explains on the episode, and he reached out to us. He started working with us here at Rockstar. In a very short time, he's acquired a bunch of real estate, and that's not, although that's amazing, the thing that's most impressive about Jatinder Gill is his attitude towards life, his family, investing, money, his future. I just love the way he talks about all of these things. So we get into this episode and just discuss how he transitioned from some of the investments he was in to to what he's doing now, what he looks for in properties, how he's handling different things. He shares some of the cash flow numbers that he's getting on some of his properties, his future plans for his real estate investing. So I absolutely love that he's willing to share all that so we can all learn from him together. And Mike DeZormo shares his experiences working with Jatinder in the different cities around the GTA that they went to and to scout properties and the kinds of properties that they end up purchasing together and the price points. So you're going to learn all of that on this episode. But you're also going to get insights into someone who took a lot of action and did it all by himself and is building a portfolio that's likely going to serve his family for decades, creating cash flow and just his outlook on life. When you hear the way he approaches different things and different questions that I toss his way, I just absolutely blown away by the guy, thrilled to share his story and his message here with you on this particular podcast. I really feel that these episodes are my absolute favorite episodes to share because it's someone who lives right here in the area accomplishing the financial freedom that he wants for his family that's going to allow him to live life on his terms. So this to me is what it's all about. So enjoy this episode. And listen, if you are listening to this and you want to get started like Jatinder, Gil got started with stuff. You can check out some information, just explore the information about real estate investing before you dive into it. And you can get some information from the books that we share. And the books that we share, we give away free digital copies of those. And the URL for those th- those books are at, are at, the URL are at, <laughs> One day I will retake all my English classes. Hopefully none of my English teachers are listening to this. The URL are at rockstarinnercircle.com forward slash books. So if you want to get digital copies of any of our books, including the most downloaded one out of them all called Income for Life for Canadians, you can get free digital copies of them at rockstarinnercircle.com forward slash books. That's rockstarinnercircle.com forward slash books. That's it for the intro. Let's get on with the show. Are you ready to live life on your terms? Is it time to take charge? Real estate, business building, the economy, health and nutrition, and more. It's the Your Life, Your Term Show with Tom and Nick Carazza. Are you ready? Let's go. Okay, we are live with Michael DeZormo. Michael William DeZormo. Got See, it. Yeah, I forgot your middle name for a second. And Jatinder Gill. Jatinder, do you have a middle name? I do. It's Singh. Jatinder Singh Gill. Both of you are here. <laughs> we're happy to have you here. So we should just tell everyone this a little bit of a shit show just happened because we were having a team event on a patio and Mike called saying, hey, I hope you're enjoying your uh, your wine and beers on the patio over there because we have a podcast in about five minutes. <laughs> and the calendar wasn't updated. And uh, Keith Pinto on the team here, Anthony Molinero and I raced back in Nick's car because my car is at the shop getting some tint adjusted. 
um, and uh, you guys were patiently waiting here. So we, we got this. Good. Yeah, we got the, <laughs> We got it kicked off. But so, Jatinder, walk us through your story because you have a pretty cool story. And uh, I do not know how you got to the point of reading Mike's book, but how does someone go from what you were doing to reading Mike's book. Can you just like walk us through this? You already had some real estate investments, I believe, correct? I did, yeah. So I did have a couple of properties. Pull that mic nice and close, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I did have a couple of properties initially, but then, you know, COVID hit, the pandemic hit. It's like, well, what do I really wanna do in my life? And how do I really reflect upon what's most important to me? So literally during February, March, and April, I sort of dissected of, where do I wanna be three, five, 10 years from now? And how do I ultimately get there? So I literally dove into what is money, how to invest into different areas of your life. And then I really just sort of narrowed down on real estate, just given that I already had some investment properties. Really tore apart what's most important from a real estate aspect, analyze. Wait, wait pause there, because you covered so much ground there in yeah. such a brief time. You reflect on your whole life and you decide this is what you wanna do. Um, and you look into what is money. How are you so introspective? Is that something you picked up from your family or you just naturally are an introspective person? And where are you in your career that's making you do this? Are you working at this time? Like what's going on? Give me a bit more context here. Yeah, so still working full time. I used to travel very frequently pre-pandemic. So I think I just sort of got more time, I guess, if I think about it. And I really just said, hey, where do I want to be in the future and what does it take to get there? And real estate was an area of interest. And I literally just dove into every single book podcasts, interview, reading, talking to others. And I did stumble across Rockstar. Yeah, got it. Okay. And then what did you, when, when you were trying to look into what is money that, uh, so that's taking you through a history of economic policy maybe, or wh what did that rabbit hole look like? Uh, a combination of that, but primarily around how do I actually make as much money as I want as quickly as possible and just leveraging fundamental principles around economics. And you, the properties that you owned before crossing paths with us, were some of those were investment properties already? They were, yeah. One's a pre-development, and then one was an investment condo that we eventually sold through Mike. Got it. And then, so that particular property that um, you have, pre-construction, and then one that you sold, you sold one because you just didn't, you didn't think that one was a keeper? It was, I think, negative $1,200 a month cash flow. Oh, no. And then Mike said, dude, 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 what are you doing? <laughs> negative. <laughs> Wait, what is negative $1,200 a month? What did you buy? Um, it was a property around Young and St. Clair. And yeah, it was a good, it's like a luxury rental. Uh, it did appreciate around $230,000, but it just wasn't working for me. And that's exactly why I wanted to pull it out and put it into a real income producing property. Yeah, got it. Okay. So Mike, 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 yeah, we generally Mike don't like, yeah, Mike, it it's good that you had the appreciation. We generally don't like to see negative $1,200 a month property. So cool. Good on you. So you sold the property. Um, and then as you're doing this, most people don't think long-term. You are seeming to insinuate that you were thinking long-term in your life. Mm -hmm. Most people think very short-term. Why were you able to map out your life long-term, do you feel? I think it came down to like certain investing principles. So I believe I understand how money works, but I didn't really understand how to invest it properly. So I did have some stock, et cetera, but I'm like, how do I actually create true wealth that's lasting? But then how do I actually start accelerating that and compounding it? So I just started to go really deep dive, deep dive totally. Got it. So then somehow you, we stumbled across each other. You came across us, yes. you read Mike's book, and then you joined as a rock star member 
And then what happens, Mike starts, Mike, you start taking to Jatinder to see some properties. Well, well, the condo, we went through a lot of calls and (laughs) battles with lawyers. Yeah. Um, When that was purchased, um, unfortunately it was, it was bought with a parking spot, but that parking spot was never officially issued. So when we had it up for sale, we technically didn't have a parking spot, even though we were selling a condo. It was, it was a two bed, right? It was a two bed. Had a balcony facing south, so at Young and Saint, uh, Young and Sinclair. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, uh, and it w- was one of the few units with a balcony. And um, we're selling this higher end condo. It was a little over a million dollars. And uh, the first buyer came in. Their lawyer had an issue due to the fact that although we we did the best we could with the builder and the property management company in ensuring that hey yes a parking spot is coming. We just don't know the spot or the location yet, but it will be within. The facility. It wasn't officially assigned yeah. legally, but we did have papers saying that I would eventually get it as they were still erecting the garage. So it's sort of like, yeah, it was pretty messed up. <laughs> so we lost the first buyer. Then the we lost two, I believe, right? Mm-hmm. On that I one. So. And then, yeah, yeah, another buyer came in and offered. And luckily, the third buyer that came in actually came in through me. So I, I had a bit more control in trying to massage the matter like you know, let's make you comfortable in regards to like, you are buying a unit, you will in fact get a parking space. And um, with the help of our lawyer as well that we used, um, we were able to do something where both parties were satisfied that yes, in fact, they are buying a two bedroom luxury condo unit with a balcony and a parking space. So (laughs) got out of that one. Um, And that, that I think was purchased when COVID had just sort of started to Mm-hmm. And just before the market went the other way, it's bounced back tremendously, that condo market. But at that time, it was shortly after that, it was going down. So mm-hmm. it was a gr- we got it, we got that unloaded right at the nick of time. And um, yeah, that was a, that was at a time when uh, I don't even remember, like playgrounds and stuff like that, where had the caution tape all, all around right. them. You couldn't even um, go into the playgrounds and whatnot. But yeah, so that was that was a lot of interaction back and forth on moving that condo. And then from the proceeds of that sale, um, Jatiner and I just yeah just started headed out and uh, I think with eight within eight months you had seven properties. Mm-hmm. It was, so, it was, yeah, yeah, walk us through this. Walk <laughs> us through because at this point, sorry, were you living downtown at all? You grew up it's in between Brant, uh, Hamilton and Brantford, right? Are you living downtown? That's why you had the pre-construction. Con- no, sorry, that particular condo downtown. No, yeah. I, I used to live downtown many years ago. Then went to Mississauga, and now I'm currently in Oakville. It was just an opportunity that was brought up for an investment. I'm like, okay, sure, sounds good. It was negative cash flow, but that that cash flow was actually guaranteed. So for the first two years, the realtor, because he worked strongly with the actual builder, they were able to top up that delta for 18 months. I actually wasn't negative cash flowing for the first 18 months, and then I was after. They oh, basically, awesome. They okay. basically cut a check. Okay, so they, even though it was rented out and cash flowing technically negative, they covered that. Right, they did. Oh, yeah. cool. Okay, yeah. so that was that's a good situation. So you take those proceeds, and then you decide you're basically after doing some introspection here, you're deciding real estate is going to carry you to some of your financial goals. Correct. Correct. Yeah. So if you think about like money and economics and investing and compounding, so I'm a finance major as well. Uh, you think about basic principles and how money works and how to grow and manipulate it. It's like, geez, why don't I actually know about this before? And it's such basic, simple math. And you think around economics and what's happening within Canada. It just made total sense. It was like a true light bulb moment. And then back to the introspection, I very much plan and think through things meticulously. So when me and Mike sat down, I'm like, Mike, these are my goals. 
and actually gave him my full real estate plan before we actually met in person. Right. Yeah, that's interesting because I often think of it that way as well. When when we can go to the bank and borrow and get, you know, pay 1.65% interest on t- today, you know, maybe when you were borrowing, it was like excessively high at 2.3 or whatever. A little bit. No. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But <laughs> yeah. like today, if you can borrow on a variable rate on a, on a rental at 1.65%, and they're going to let you get this property somewhere in the GTA here, which has a lack of supply and an incredible amount of demand and a growing population base. And they're going to charge you 1.65% to take on this debt to buy a property that cash flows and pays for itself. I just feel like our parents, my parents, I don't know about your parents, but my parents were kind of taught pay off debt because they grew up in the era of the 1970s, 80s, right. when interest rates were 16, 17%, you didn't carry debt. But now the script is shifted, but a lot of the kids that were brought up from parents in that era believe debt is bad. Whereas today, if you're not taking on debt, it's kind of like you're not playing the money game that the powers are playing. So totally. you need to take on debt to stay ahead. It's like sad. I actually don't even like the way this is. But if you're not taking on the debt to buy good assets, you fall behind. Totally. Uh, debt is the most beautiful instrument on earth right now today, especially in this economic environment. There's no question about it. Uh, I would say growing up for my mom, I actually did have like a negative money blueprint around debt, around paying down your mortgage, around save, save, save. So I did sort of have that scarcity mindset with without a question, but I think it sort of comes back to education. It's what you do every day around growing your brain, which actually translates into results. And so I actually had to make it happen for myself and it was some big obstacles mentally, without a question. Yeah, we used to have the same ones. Was it, when you were going through this journey, uh, that was a couple, two years ago now, just reading some books, and stuff, was there a book in particular that really had a m- mental mind shift moment for you? Was there something that stood out? From a money standpoint, uh, there's there's several, but I think none of those books are important. Uh, the books that are important is how do you actually think differently? So two books that really stand out are by Dr. Joe Dispenza, Once You Are the Placebo. The second one is Becoming Supernatural. So it's all around like metacognition, right? Once you figure out how you think and how that basically determines your life, then you realize you need to sort of step back on a daily basis and when you're talking is truly actively listening. So you are bringing your best foot forward versus letting all your subconscious thoughts dictate your reality. So I'm a big Dr. Joe Dispenza fan, and that actually did change my life like very much. So, Oh, wow. Super cool. Mm-hmm. Jatinder, what, what gave you the confidence to move from? Because what we often find is the, the people that like downtown Toronto condos usually stick in that playhouse. And then the other people that go more after cash flow will go outside into the 905s, get the single family, or do the conversions, the student rentals. There's usually not a, a mixture of the two. What gave you the confidence to move from the investment of a higher-end luxury downtown Toronto condo to a 1960s, 70s bungalow that now has to be converted and you got to go through contractors and architects and, and whatnot? What gave you that confidence? Yeah, I think it comes back to just money, money principles. So what does the three, five, and 10-year plan look like once I buy and acquire? What happens when I refinance? But then also of the mindset of, I sort of view appreciation as gambling. We know obviously it's going to happen. It's been happening like bonkers, but the math alone on principal paydown and cash flow still is a 20 to 25% ROI. Everything else is just gravy. So just understanding that, understanding a refinance is tax-free, which is also compounded, it just starts to become super, super clear. So appreciation, I don't really care much about. 
because the numbers still without it work. And so many people don't grasp that, that a refinance of a property and pulling out equity that you've gained either through the mortgage being paid down or through appreciation that you were lucky enough to get, it's tax free. You're pulling up money. And whenever I say that, I'll always have an accountant or two or someone who's an accountant say, it's technically not tax free. It depends what you're doing with the money and all those kinds of things. But I know I'm kind of making a general statement there, but work with a good accountant and basically you can make that tax free if you want that to be tax free. And it's brilliant. Mm -hmm. It's basically how in my life, my parents never knew how I would say the quote unquote wealthy in this country or in North America were getting ahead. You know, and I shared this story recently that I never, when I was working at Oracle in the late 90s, I remember one day discovering that Larry Ellison, the billionaire founder of Oracle, he had a $1 billion credit line because he was worth, I think at that time, maybe three or four billion, maybe five or six, something, something like that, in basically Oracle shares. And he had a credit line and the balance of his billion dollar credit line was 950 million. And the reason that it was in the headlines was he was gonna take another credit line, like increase it or get a second one. And I always remember thinking like, Oh man, this like crazy rich guy. Like, why does he have a debt? Like, why doesn't he just like take his Oracle shares and like, you know, sell them for what the, what he needs? Like, he's such seeming like such a fool. Like, he has this credit line. And then uh, many years later, it hit me. I'm like, "Oh my god. I made fun of that guy in my head as I was in my 20s, not knowing that you don't sell good assets." His good assets were equity stake via these share Oracle shares in the company Oracle. Mm-hmm. that was growing like gangbusters. You don't sell that. He was borrowing against that. His Oracle shares were appreciating. His debt relative to his equity position was getting smaller and smaller every year. I was just focused on this big debt that he had, but didn't realize that he was the smart money. Right. And that's when I had that light bulb moment and then realized that you and I and Mike, we could all do that with real estate, buy the asset, let it appreciate a bit, refinance, pull it out. We could be the Larry Ellison billionaires of the world and play the same game. Maybe it's at our level. It's different. Unless, Jatinder, you pulled out a billion dollars. I'm not sure. But <laughs> I it, wish. But, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but we could all do the exact same thing. Mm-hmm. To me, that was the light bulb moment. I went from like kind of kind of like not in a rude or, or, or mean way, but I was like kind of chuckling at this guy like, ah, like typical American, you know, just kind of waving my hands like this guy doesn't get it. Why does he have this debt? Then realizing, oh my gosh, once you acquire good assets, whether it's good real estate properties, good Oracle shares, whatever it is, don't sell them. You keep them and you figure out a way to use them as collateral to borrow against. Agreed, yes. So uh, light bulb moment. So then when you meet Mike though, and he starts showing you these properties, walk us through what's your next, after you sold the condo, what's the next property? Mike, where did you take them and what's the next property? You're probably gonna remember this better than I. I think we were just consistently doing Hamilton, St. Catharines area. In Brantford. Brantford, that's right. That was on your your suggestion, Mike, or Jatinder was already sold on those areas? I think based on his goals and our conversations, we narrowed it down to those specific cities. Mm -hmm. Okay, and why those cities? Because you could get the cash flow, they were appreciated. Like, what was it? The type of property, how easily we could convert, and what would that that lead to in regards to, yes, the rent and cash flow. Mm -hmm. Okay, so what's his next purchase? What was the first first purchase? Yeah. That was Vine Street in St. Catharines. Uh, that was actually the first day I went out. So it took massive action. <laughs> <laughs> Great. That's how we work here. You went out with Mike. You bought a property. So what is it? A duplex? Give me some details. Yeah, it's a single family home to a duplex conversion. So you did the duplex conversion on that one? Right. Mm-hmm. Okay. And you have, had you ever done a duplex conversion before? Nope. Okay. So you hired. <laughs> Great. <laughs> so who did you hire? Walk me through. How did that process look? 
Yeah, so interviewed a few different people, uh, and then we really wanted to figure out what is the quality of their character versus around their technical acumen. Uh, how do they get a plan on communicating to me? Because I really need to figure out the details of this. And like what I said before, is it's far greater of what you don't know versus what you do know. And the quality of the questions is the quality of your life. So when I was with Mike and I was with the contractor, I just keep on asking and genuinely curious so I can learn and educate. So talk less and then keep on asking the right questions and just listen more. Got it. So converted that one into a legal second suite. Yeah. And then rent it out for how much in rent? What are your carrying costs? <laughs> I think that's one of the ones still yeah. going, right? This, this is the funny thing. So we've the first had, purchase is the one that's not done yet. That, exactly. <laughs> and the rest are basically done. Yeah. So we had some issues with the city around the minor variants, uh, had some issue with lining up trades. And unfortunately, that one's not finished, but the others are progressing. What did the city do? They just didn't approve your, your request for what reasons? Uh, it's just uh, it's a square footage requirements in the basement just being too small. And I just wanted to maximize the use of the space because I didn't want to have a 300 square foot utilities room. Just doesn't make any sense. And obviously the city makes it incredibly difficult for investors. St. Catherine specifically right now, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's pretty, pretty terrible. Yeah. And just the minor variance process just taking, you know, in fact, months. Why is St. Catherine's being that terrible? Someone was telling me that it, part of the reason was that there's some investors out there like uh, big money's coming in buying hundreds of properties and they're trying to push back on that. So some of these inspectors were really kind of pushing back on some of the approvals. Had you heard that? I haven't heard that. No? Okay. Okay, so tell me about some of the other ones. What are the, I just want to paint a picture for those people who don't understand St. Catharines. What are the purchase prices? What are the rents? Walk us through this. Yeah, actually, so because that one's not done yet, let's sort of flip over to Hamilton. Yeah, let's flip the one so it's working. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Totally. yeah, <laughs> yeah. I'll tell you about the stuff that actually is legit. <laughs> um, like, I think the second one we got was the Hayden Street property. And I still recall vividly, you said, uh, this one is going to be like the golden child. Uh, it was just an amazing layout, 1,200 square foot up, 1,200 square foot in the basement. So three up, three down. Went through the renovation process uh, with a few hiccups. That one took around four to four and a half months. But um, that one worked out very well financially. So this is sort of, you know, mid-pandemic. The prices haven't gone crazy. That was an acquisition price of $628,000. Um, and then that property is cash flowing, believe it or not, $2,479 pre-refinance. So the rents are incredibly strong. Basically $2,750 upstairs and I think $2,350 on the lower. Wow. wow. So that inclusive of um, utilities? Just inclusive of gas and water. So inclusive of gas and water, they pay hydro. Yeah, second, hydro second and panel. Yeah, all that kind of stuff. Wow. Mm -hmm. And then have you refinanced that one yet? In the process right now. Okay. What do you think that's going to, what did you buy it at? 628. What do you, if you had to, if you guys had to guess now, what do you think it's going to get appraised at? 900. 900. Mm -hmm. I think that's <laughs> when we, since we last spoke, but it might be closer to a million now. Potentially. Yeah. Well, that would be nice. Yeah. Yeah. Should go back yeah. to the bank again. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So if it gets appraised at $900,000, you are going to put all the money you put in. That's going to cover and renovation money as well. So mm -hmm. you just hit the, 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 the timing couldn't have been better on that purchase, basically. Yeah, that's a timing play. Don't yeah. expect that. Yeah, Delta not everyone's going to gonna that hit that. Not everyone's going to hit that. But, but I think he's not only taking on his renovation money, potentially the full down payment. Uh, roughly half of it. Half. So, so you take on half the down payment. So now you'll only have like 10% down in that, that thing, all the renovation money. And will it still cash flow after the refinance when you do that? Yeah, oh, that much sure. cash flow. It'll be totally like 1600 1700 So it's going to be 1600 and you're, you've taken pretty much everything out other than you're left with 10% in. And yes. Um, what are you seeing on rents? Like, Mike, are you seeing that rent pretty steady on Hamilton 
I call, I'm saying duplex. I know it's a legal accessory or second suite. Is that a steady rent that you're seeing now? Yeah, the latest fills are uh, the upper unit. A three bed is typically running somewhere between 2,300 all the way up to, we've heard recently, 2,800. So 23 to 8, 28 plus utilities? or you, Plus hydro typically. Plus hydro. Okay. And then the basement unit would be... So not as big as the ones your Tinder just explained, but a typical basement, but that's maybe one bedroom or two bedrooms. Yeah, what are you? Twenty one hundred to twenty one to twenty two. Okay, so you're getting you can get on a on a on a single family home converted to a legal duplex. You can get forty five hundred dollars a month in rent. Yes, right now there I know you're hitting like five thousand. I feel like on mm-hmm. some, some of the stuff. Right. Okay. So, so Jatinder, you said you purchased that property. Uh, I think it was high sixes. Some people have been with us for over a decade, and when they hear that price, they still can't believe it. These are people that were buying in you know, high 200s, low 300s. But these are also investors that have a lot of equity, but they're moving forward looking in the rear view mirror. So they're looking at prices now, and they've said this over the years, I can't believe where prices are. Yes. So what we find is people like yourself that come into this in 2020, it doesn't matter because you're not looking back. You're looking at the here and now. This is what the price is. Here's how I can make my investment in the numbers work. What advice would you give to those that have been doing this for a while, but now they're stuck on the sideline? They want to do something. They want to get going, but they're a little hesitant. And it's been like this for years, by the way. Mm-hmm. What, would you, what kind of advice would you give to somebody like that? Yeah, I think it comes back to do your research and run the numbers. So very simply, do the research pre-acquisition Put up feelers on Kijiji, on Zumper, figure out what rents are before you actually buy a property, and then you'll actually get a sense of it. So instead of just viewing those ads, literally put up an ad and see how many leads are you getting. Are people willing to pay $25,000, $26,000, $3,000 for an upper or lower unit? That's, that's step one. And then step two is run the numbers at like whatever, an eight hundred dollars or an $850,000 acquisition price. Cross-reference that versus the actual potential rents because you just put up feelers. And it's still going to be a 20, 25% ROI. So never let it hold you back. Psychologically, run the analysis, do the hard work, then make it happen and then decide. Now, these properties you've, you've chosen to fill yourself and manage yourself. What kind of turnout were you having in regards to tenants who are able to pay that type of rent? And was it you just got lucky or are there multiple people you could have selected as well? Yeah, so right now I've filled three duplexes, so six units total. The lead flow via Hamilton is enormous. So basically getting 50, 60, 70 applications for all of these homes. Obviously, who you put in your homes is absolutely paramount. We all know that. So very strict around who actually goes in the home. So there's a lot of people that are that are willing to pay it. I think what comes most importantly is, is how are you putting your best foot forward when you're interacting with these potential clients? You know, we're, we're in the service business, right? It's not about being a landlord versus a tenant. We're providing quality homes for for people just like us. And I think, unfortunately, a lot of us sort of potentially have the mindset saying, my home, you know, you're a tenant, you need to take care of it. And that sort of like energy radiates off on potential tenants. So I deeply care about who's in my home. I'm actually privileged to provide them with a home. And I think they can sort of feel some of that. So I think there's sort of a natural energy of why tenants would want to work with me potentially. I really do believe that. Now, with these, so you said um, Hamilton seems to have a lot more uh, lead flow than St. Catherine, but St. Catharines is still strong? Uh, not necessarily. So I would probably say the lead flow is about 3 to 3.5x in Hamilton versus St. Catharines. Mm-hmm. And then St. Catharines is probably 25 to 30% lower in potential rents. 
Fair. Yeah. Okay. And then could multiple, could you have filled these properties with multiple, um, leads? Absolutely. Yeah. So when it came down to it, I had the initial, let's say pre-qualification questionnaire via Google form, figure out who are they, where do they work? How long do they work there? What's their income and what's their credit? Step two is just have a high level phone conversation just to figure out what is the type of quality of their character and me really assessing, do I actually want to spend time driving out to Hamilton to do a showing? And once we get the showing stage, like dozens of showings, and then from there, lowering that one step further, then doing the actual full-on application. Once you do the full-on application, still getting multiple people that would feel comfortable moving forward. What, with, so. what were you using to um, verify income and credit? Was there a program or were you doing all little bits and pieces of everything? Little bit of everything, but primarily na- uh, neighborly. Okay, got it. Mm-hmm. Mike, and you still like neighborly? Yep. Yeah, yeah, got it. So you, you were using Google Forms off the ad to collect tenant information. So right. that would automate some of the booking of the property showings for you. Correct, right? right? So off of like the link, uh, off the link for the ad, they go to Google Forms, they collect it, yep. then you do the showings, then you can screen them using Neighborly. Yes. Neighborly is showing you credit score, mm-hmm. and what else? A whole bunch of things like bankruptcy, criminal background check, uh, employment verification check, pictures of their IDs, picture of their dogs, picture of their cars. It's pretty thorough and comprehensive. Oh, no, Neighborly's doing social media stuff now too. Is that uh, they're doing that? No, it's just a, it's a request of the potential tenant just to show a picture of their dog and their vehicle. Oh my God, really? Yeah. I didn't know I, that was happening. I think happening. that's a little bit intrusive, yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. but but you do have to highlight how many pets do you have, et cetera. Yeah, yeah got uh, it. I do take that one step forward and I do review bank statements as well too, because I want to figure out, you said you paid X before, now show me the last six months where X amount came out of your bank statement. Yeah. Just because it's so easy just for people to state that they've been there. It's so easy to forge like a fake reference and all of that. Like, I want to find the best, highest quality people in my homes. And Mike's sitting on such a big point with you. Because we've been doing this for a while, and and Mike, the investors that you've worked with like 10 years ago, you know, we thought we were were having investors buy properties on the Hamilton Mountain like you're buying. We were buying those at 209,000, 219,000. There was one point in here where the properties hit $234,000. I'll never forget. And somebody on our team who I'm not going to mention said, Tom, I think that's it. I think that's it. Like, we're not going to be able to make these properties cash flow at 234000 I'm talking about a fully detached three-bedroom home, maybe not West Mountain, but on the Hamilton Mountain, and uh, driveway up the side. No garage, but driveway up the side for, for 234000 And I remember there was a little bit of anxiousness, like, holy smokes, prices are going out of control. So now when we have investors that Mike worked with 10 years ago, and we talk about the prices that you're talking about, you, I think as humans, we have this... <laughs> Sometimes inability to like forget the past and analyze something on what's going to happen on the future. And I wonder if that's going to, ha- I, I feel Jatinder so thorough in his analysis. It won't happen to him on the way he crunches numbers, but the way he's going to have to buy his future properties, when you come to him and say, Hey, Jatinder, that property, I mean, you're going to be talking $1.2 million and he's going to be like, Mike, what are you trying to, I knew you were trying to rip me off. I knew you were trying to rip me off. But, uh, so on that property, so then are now your properties, how many properties do you have total now? You said seven, seven properties. And, mm-hmm. and you were able to keep purchasing these properties um, and, and they're in Hamilton and St. Catharines? Correct, yeah. Five in Hamilton, two in St. Catharines. Five in Hamilton. All duplexes? They will eventually be duplexes, uh, all yes. All eventually duplexes. That's the ultimate intent. Yeah. Okay. And then is the cash flow numbers roughly the same on each of these? Or because some of them aren't duplexes yet under construction, I guess you don't have cash flow on some of those stuff. 
Yeah, one one actually, this is an interesting story. So we found one in St. Catharines and the one, unfortunately, the current tenant was the landlord because they thought the market was going to crash. So, so they were the owner of the property. They were the owner of the property. That one's only at 437, but that property will be converted. The properties that are converted, they're all between 1500 to 2500 per month cash flow. Damn, so that pro- that person sold you the property because so many we've been, how many, Mike, how many times have we seen that? Yeah. So many people we've seen sell the yeah. property and they're renting it back. They don't understand the money game right now. Totally. A lot of the potential tenant applicants are former homeowners because they want to cash out. It's uh, very unfortunate. I I don't think people understand if they cash out now with inflation the way it's gonna it, it's ripping and the 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 potential for it to rip harder going forward. Anything you cash out now, if you're gonna live beyond five to ten years <laughs> from now, whatever you think you have might be absolutely decimated. Hold on to your assets. Yeah. I always, it always freaks me out. Like it always freaks me out whenever I see those financial planning articles in the newspapers. And I used to read those in the 2000s. And there would always be, back then there was an argument on versus own, owning versus renting. That's what was the, I remember all, those. Yeah, yeah, all the rage yeah. back then. And yeah. I remember thinking even back then, because Nick and I already own student rental properties. And I remember thinking, these guys aren't taking into account appreciation and they're not taking into account leverage. They would just be, they would say things like, well, real estate appreciates only, quote unquote, only at like 5% a year. Actually, historically now the averages are higher because it's ripping forward. But um, 5% a year, and you could get other, you can get a 10% return on this kind of like GIC or, or something like that. And I remember thinking, this person's not taking account leverage. Mm-hmm. I'm not buying the property in cash. So I'm not appreciating at 5%. I'm appreciating it like five times your 5%. Right. And... I mean, there's equity being built out. There's tax deductions on this property. You're just missing the whole story. And the, also, they, they missed that it didn't appreciate at 5%. From 2008 to 2019, not the last couple of years, we appreciated okay. 8.2% on the Toronto Regional Real Estate Board, compounded. Compounded. Mm-hmm. That's absolutely insane. In the last few years, it's kind of, kind of gone higher. And mm-hmm. then uh, I also read some of these articles that will say, you know, this couple... We are doing financial analysis because they want to retire in the next five years. And they're yes. clearly overweighted on real estate. And I always want to email the people who wrote the article. I'm like, they're overweighted on real estate because real estate's the one thing that went up. Like they're, they're overweighted. It, and it, a good it, thing. Yeah, it's a exactly. good thing. It's like, I, we use this analogy. It's like if you were raising like horses and, and you take your best horse out into the backyard and said, you're my best horse. I'm going to shoot you. Do you know what I mean? Like I'm going <laughs> to shoot my best. You're never going to do that. You're right. never going to do that. You're yeah. always going to cherish your winners, right? Mm-hmm. And, but in these analysis, it's often like, well, you're, you're overweighted on here. We should diversify your portfolio. I'm like, oh my gosh, these people are not even talking about the money game. So it freaks me out. So for you to come to those conclusions yourself, I mean, kudos to you. Because I don't think it's an easy thing to do. And I'm sure some of your friends who you've talked to about what you're doing probably don't fully understand the money game either to no fault of their own. They just right. haven't done the analysis. What are some of your friends talking about when you, when you share what you're doing? So when I, okay, first off, when I think of the media and I think of friends and family, I would just say, don't listen to them because that actually could be one of your biggest limiting factors of why you're not going to achieve your goals. And you're, it's really sad to see you're watching the destruction of the middle class happening right in front of us right now. Look at monetary policy, look at inflation, look at interest rates. Like these three factors alone combined, there's literally so much money to be made in front of us, but people just don't know that, which comes back to education learn, grow, and develop daily so you can figure this out for yourself. 
it's really tragic to see. It really is. During this election, and I don't want, I hate getting into politics. I rarely bring this up, but when, when Trudeau said that one quote where, where he says, you'll excuse me if I'm not talking or thinking about monetary policy, I just kind of shrugged. I'm like, yeah, of course you're not. Like it's probably the most important thing that you could be focusing on during these times and you're just dismissing it like it's nothing. And this is the leader of our country. Right? Mm-hmm. It just kind of freaks me out. But uh, anyway, kudos to you. And so so you're getting this cash flow on these properties. What now, did, any adventures through this, Mike? Was it all pretty smooth? Did you find the properties for him pretty easily? How long did it take, by the way, to acquire these properties? It was seven and eight months, I believe. Mm-hmm. Right. And you were able was, to... Jatinder was aggressive. He took massive action. Um, yeah, I mean, we lost a few. Some closer than we would like to... Admit, we, like we, lo- we, we lost a few, whether it's a couple like amazing opportunities just to sever the land. Yeah. And then it's really interesting seeing the other side of the realtor equation around, wait, you're not going to come back to the table and negotiate for your client. Mm-hmm. So that was pretty, that was, a, that was hard. Yeah. <laughs> not that we'd want to chase it, but I think we looked back at one and we lost it over $5,000. Right. Which was absolutely yeah. silly. They should have given us another round. I'm, you know, not to say that we would have come up, but they could have got more money potentially for their, for their seller. And but, then did you ever yeah. go way over asking on properties? Oh, for sure. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> on, on every single one. Yeah. Okay, so yeah. what are some examples? So what are list price versus over what you're asking, but at market. So, exactly. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Because we call these list prices marketing prices. Yeah, got so it. So when okay, we now give, a- analyze, like, what should these properties be selling at? Yes, we went over list, but... Mm-hmm. Give everyone some Good examples well. for yeah. context here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so the one one property in Hamilton uh, listed for five ninety nine and then sold for seven fifty seven. And so for me, when Mike's And sold, like, and you were the buyer. Yes. Yeah, got it. <laughs> My Mike's like, these are the comps. I'm like, well, okay, I trust you. But no, but obviously did the analysis myself, and it just made total sense. I ran the numbers, ran the rents. I'm like, even at 757, it makes total financial sense to do so. I'm not going to let this mental hurdle to say, I'm spending three quarters of a million on a duplex in Hamilton. That's ridiculous. Dude, like, who are you? Like, Nobody like, thinks that ma- way. Math doesn't lie. Yeah. Right? <laughs> it was something I think in one of Robert Kiyosaki's book, I, I read it's, it's, he said something like you can be, you can overpay or quote unquote overpay. You're not technically overpaying because you're still making money, but you can pay more than what the market thinks a property is worth. If you have some information that the rest of the market doesn't. So to me, when I hear you say that you had some information on through Mike and your own research, how much these properties were going to rent for and the income potential on these properties. So for you, it didn't matter to, you know, quote unquote, overpay $50,000, $100,000 because you were going to make money with this thing regardless. Exactly. And that's the competitive advantage that I think most people don't understand. So mm-hmm. good on you, man. That is pretty advanced thinking. And then it's, there's a long-term buy and hold. So I'm going to have for a few decades. I'm not concerned about the ups and downs of the market. For me, that's totally irrelevant. Right. The property is going to hold itself via the super strong cash flow and five, 10, 15 years later, then that's when the appreciation will eventually kick in when there's ups and downs. But I do think, frankly, appreciation is happening right now. But if I'm still earning 20 to 25 percent without it, it just makes total economic sense. So what are your fears then? Um, Let's flip the script a little bit. So you feel pretty, pretty confident on real estate, as do I. But what are your fears? What is it? Is it interest rates going up? Is it that there's no renters, damage on the property? Like what, what, what is your number one fear right now? Because you have a bunch of real estate. You're holding, you know, several million dollars in property. What, what is a fear? Uh, there are no fears. Those are opportunities, right? So if something does come up to me mentally, I'll really think through it and I'll figure out what is the way to tackle that. So fears actually do not come up. 
I view them as opportunities. Mike, where did you find this guy? I know. Where the <laughs> fuck did <laughs> you find these guys? He's never They're stressed. <laughs> he's there's, never there's, there's no fears. Yeah. Right? Yeah. yeah. But is it be, where is this coming from? Because I have to admit, that's how we feel as well about real estate, business, the Bitcoin stuff we talk about. I'm like, I'm not really, I've done my research. And if my worst case, if I understand the worst case and I'm not scared of it, I don't really have a fear. Let totally. the worst case unfold. And I feel like that about the entire economy. Like I feel like whatever, ha- you know, what everyone else is scared of, let it be. I feel like I'm going to be fine through it because I feel like I've done the homework. I'm set up personally to be prepared for that kind of stuff. Right. Um, so I, I kind of resonate with that. But Jesus, we don't meet many people who talk like you. So well, kudos to you, man. It, it comes back to two different things. So number one is education. Clearly, you do your research. You know the markets in and out. You probably subscribe to all these different things and you educate yourself. But then number two, psychologically, you just know how to overcome these, right? It's like, look at, look at how you built this practice. There was probably so many limiting beliefs. I can never get to 50, 75 brokers, but, but look, you did it, right? Because you kept on taking action, right? And if you let fear sort of get in your way, how can you ever become the person that you want to be? You can, right? And then you'll slowly age decade by decade and you'll realize, what the heck did I do with my life, right? So why would you not take the action right now and keep on moving forward? Right. Is it your parent, this thinking, where does it come from? Is it from your parents, your, 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 your wife, you're married with, what is it? Two kids now? Like, where does this type of thinking coming? This is not normal. <laughs> it's great thinking. I'm yeah. on board, but it's rare. Where does this come from? This is self-taught. Yeah, I would say probably five to six years ago. Uh, I used to never read at all. I was always genuinely curious. I'd always be asking questions so I could learn. But around six years ago, I started to read heavily heavily into personal development, heavily into psychology, heavily into self-improvement, just overall self-mastery. How do I be a better sing- better man every single day? So I basically read a book almost every single week for, for several years, and it just hasn't stopped. And I think about, you know, reading a book, that's, an edu- that's education with someone that spent 20, 30 years of their life on a single topic, and I can extract that information in eight hours. But then more importantly, I'm not only extracting it, I'm reflecting on it, and then I'm implementing it. Right. And then slowly week in and week out, you just sort of you make progress and make results. I feel like that's where you all started, Mike. Remember when our personal power to I, I think you were listening to personal power Two from Tony Robbins. Oh, Tony Robbins. Yeah. Yeah. yeah we had these. And I, Mike, I don't even think I knew you back then, but Ruben was listening to them. I was mm-hmm. listening to them. I think he shared them with you or you shared them with him. However, they got we all kind of were circulating them about. I think Jatinder, there was a period for like a year and a half. I was on and off. I was probably listening to Tony Robbins personal power Two in my car like so many times that when he said something, I knew when he was going to say it. You know, so I think I think we all go through that era. And I feel like in my 20s, I was fortunate enough that I just started reading. Like I didn't really even like university. Like I was good in school and high school kind of came pretty easy to me. Like I stopped basically studying at all in the last part of high school and still got 80s and got into the engineering program at U of T and that bit. Mm-hmm. Didn't do engineering. Didn't even really read in university. And then I think finally after I graduated, there was this like holy shit moment where I thought, wait a second, like, I feel like I've done all the right things, but my life doesn't seem like financially is going to reward me to live the way I want to live. What, where did I go wrong? Mm-hmm. And then I just started living at chapters. For me, it was chapters back then. And I just started reading all the personal development books. And I'll never forget Think and Grow Rich for me was like, I read that book. I remember, I remember lying next to my, you know, if I was married at that point, maybe just before I got married, I was lying next to my soon to be wife. And I remember thinking, 
like this, this book is changing my life. Like I had no idea about the power of my subconscious mind and, you know, having goals and writing things down like all these ba like things I th look at as so basic right now, but yes. they were like mind blowing to me at that time. And I think it puts you on this journey and personal development, I think sometimes gets made fun of or looked down upon or being even spiritual and, mm -hmm. and thinking of spirituality. But it, to me, it's the foundation and basis for what you need to build up what you have now. And it feels like yes. you went down that rabbit hole. And yes. then you need to graduate past it, by the way, because I, I do meet some people who live in the personal development world forever and never take any action. Right. They're constantly just all meditating. The, all the conferences. Yeah, yeah, they're just like constantly <laughs> meditating. And sometimes I feel like, hey, you got to stop meditating and you actually got to do some shit. Yeah, you, you got to be practical. <laughs> yeah, right? you got to be practical. There's also that too, right? Right. But I feel like um, it's so common when I meet people who are achieving what they want to achieve, they're reading. And I, I'm a little bit concerned that for this generation, and maybe it's because my son's 19 years old right now, and social media is so great at what it does, that the art of sitting by yourself and reading a good book, I hope that, that for that generation isn't lost because it feels really important. Agreed, yeah. You know, for, for my two boys, I have a three-year-old and a one-year-old, I was thinking about it. It's like the greatest gift that I can give them is education and reward them with reading. I just feel like my life has changed dramatically and I'm like, how do I help them? Let's say instead of rewarding them with like, you know, money as like a reward currency, how do I reward them with, with the fantastic book? And hopefully that's a gift that I can pass on to them a lot more earlier. I feel like I could have just been so far ahead many, many years ago if I just picked that up. When my kids were... Um Getting into their kind of like 12, 13 stage, I started getting them to read Rich Dad, Poor Dad and make a presentation. Mike, I don't know if you're going to do this with your children or not, but I forced them to give me a presentation on the 10 points that they liked from the book. Oh, really? <laughs> Made them do the cash flow quadrant? <laughs> yeah, it's whatever they wanted. It's whatever they wanted. But read Rich Dad, Poor Dad, read Cash Flow Quadrant, read these books and you have to give a presentation back to me. That was the deal. And I guess they were young and they listened to me and they did it. But this past year, I'm just going to say it. I don't know if I've said this before on the podcast or not, I just paid my son to read some books because I'm like, I want this information in your brain and I'm very lucky. He, he, he's a great guy and he listens to me. <laughs> Maybe he should or he shouldn't. But okay. I'm like, I just want you to crush through these books. And I knew if I gave him one book for the summer or for the month, but I knew if I paid him, I could probably get him through five books. Get him hooked, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I just said, hey, I'm gonna pay you. And it was awesome. He loved the books. And I paid him and I feel like it was the best thing I could have done because I, w I would have paid to stuff that information in his brain at these formative years. And I never thought I would admit on this podcast or to anyone in my own life that I paid to have my kids read a book. But now I feel like it was the best thing I've done. Mm -hmm. So, uh, and I'll tell you, I never thought I would do that because I always thought you got to earn it. Read the book yourself. When you're ready, the book will find you. And I've kind of flipped a little bit and I'm like, shit, he's 19. Fuck, read this book right now. I'll give you a hundred bucks. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's an interesting point. Uh, do you pay for his education? We help pay for his, his education. He has to pay for some components of his education. So, so if you yeah. do it from that aspect, you're, you know, if he's going into school, you're paying X amount of dollars. What is the true ROI from sitting there in undergrad for, for four years straight? What is he truly extracting that he can actually implement, right? And that's no, nothing against the education system. I just don't think there's much value there. You could learn far more online today than Ever. Like it's such an amazing opportunity as a young individual, like you could be incredibly successful and never have an undergrad degree. 
when, when you know when we have the opportunity to, i don't know if you on this past weekend if you were at our event or not but if you listen yeah. to someone like jeff booth mm-hmm. like we get to listen to like a guy like jeff booth who every time i sit down with a guy i'm always you know thinking a new thought or analyzing something in a new way when would we all get that opportunity where we can sit down and chat with him and you could be at home listening to him. Mike, you could be on the road even listening. Right. And we're all kind of getting that information. I will tell you that having my son read some of these books did backfire me a little bit Uh-oh. because now he picked up some good information that he's analyzing everything he's being taught at school in a different way. And he's very, <laughs> he's very critical of it. He's like, dad, what am I? Cause he's read some good books now, right? The Bitcoin standard I put in front yeah. of him, you know, he's read rich dad. He's been down the rich dad, poor dad, cash flow quadrant, real, the real estate stuff he gets. He yeah. wants to beat his uncle who bought a property, Nick at 21 years old. He's 19 and he's a great, he thinks he's going to beat him. So he's a competitive in nature too. So he <laughs> thinks he's going to get his first property. He owns some Bitcoin. He's been playing around with all this kind of stuff, but it has backfired me in that way that he's a little bit more dismissive of some of the university stuff that I had initially intended when I started <laughs> the books. Backfire. Yeah. A in little, a good way, though. A little so. backfire. It's in a good way, but a little backfire. So I kind of have to massage that a little bit because I do believe at university, the kids are still learning how to meet deadlines, how to be resourceful, how to work with other people, social skills, you know, deal right. with all kinds of professors, digest information quickly, research information quickly, put it in the written form, the oral form, make presentations in front of people, public speaking, right? So there's a whole bunch of stuff they're getting that maybe is not technically on the checklist of university, right. but it's still to me as his father, valuable experiences for him to go through. Totally, right? 100% agree. So um, so then what, you know, what else, Mike, what else on this journey? Any of these appraisals that are gonna come back short, do you feel of what you guys expected or are they all kind of hitting it out of the park? And so on the appraisal front and what next for you? You have these properties now, you have a bunch of real estate. Are you taking pause? Like you can't keep qualifying forever. How was the banking process for you? So how are appraisals going and how was this whole experience? Are you gonna have to pause at this point? Uh, No, there's no point of pausing, right? (laughs) From an appraisal standpoint, uh, that's just a a very long and brutal process, like upwards of two to three months per property, Uh, incredible amount of due diligence, and I would say extra scrutiny where they're not even assessing like the profile of, of the individual. They're just looking at really everything. So for example, case in point, if they're assessing one property, they're sending appraisers to every single other property as well. They're taking that one step further. They're assessing the market rents of all those other properties because all the leases are less than 90 days. So it's brutal. It's taking some time, unfortunately. So those, those are on the refi, but what about on the purchases? Those I'm, appraisals went well? Yeah, 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 yeah. There was no issues in terms of... There was, oh, yeah, there for sure. Because, yeah, <laughs> yeah, Mike, you're These saying... These are all the, the refis, sorry. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And yeah. the market was moving so fast. Were you worried mm. for some of the appraisals that you guys had purchased at a price where the appraisal would not come in? No, no. And, and again, that's because we've always pulled the comps. So we saw what these particular properties were selling for, and we were coming in within that range. Mm-hmm. So no, wasn't concerned. Yeah, got it. But you, you did warn me, though, just in case. Always, yeah, as, as a for, yeah. warning, because you can get a crappy appraiser. Totally. And then if for some reason you want a tight timeline and we can't get a second one in to, 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 to fight, to say, hey, you know what? You used the wrong properties. Here's the properties you should have used. Yeah, we might be making up a, a, sh- a small difference. Mm-hmm. Why yeah. did you trust Mike so much? Was it his book that you had read that gave you confidence? Actually, no, he gave me his book after I met him a couple of times. Okay. He's like, here, here's my book. Can you read it, please? Because yeah. no. the book's full of great stories of members or investors like yourself who are doing things right here. Yeah. But so, yeah. So what gave you so much confidence in this guy? It's sort of interesting. When you, when you see someone online, you just sort of feel that vibe and that energy. Like, that's a person I trust. That's a person I want to work with. Not that I didn't want to work with you, but obviously I know you don't, you're not taking clients. But as I was going through, like, all of this research and everything, I went through, like, every single podcast. I'm like... 
that's a person I know that's genuine, authentic, he'll be transparent and he'll have my back. And so that's when I had, I went out with full intention, emailed Rockstar right away saying, I need to work with them. Yeah, because right? I think you were rare. I don't think you came through our regular channels. I think Jatinder just like basically, like he's saying, you just emailed in or something. Yeah, I'm like, I, I actually need, found I, I, my I, cell somehow. Oh, did you? I, I, actually, yeah, no, you I, called I, me. I, 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 avoided, I avoided calling right, Rockstar. So, yeah. I'm, like, I'm like, let me talk to Mike. He's the source. Yeah. And then Mike, and then Mike, Rockstar, put, and then Mike yeah. put me back in the funnel saying, yeah, yeah. you got to go through yeah. like this process to work with me. Okay, yeah. now I see how it works. <laughs> Hey, Mike, I've checked out Rockstar. I've just boiled it down to you. I'm just going to skip all these other guys. I just want to work with you. <laughs> yeah, it's, 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 it's taking action, right? Yeah, totally. Totally. We're yeah. all about that for sure. Yeah. Yeah. The fact that you found a cell phone on the internet, that's pretty good. I don't know where that would be. That's M- probably M- MD sold it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, is it there? Gotcha. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Got it. And then, Mike, where are you going to take Jatinder? So if you're going to, in, in the banks, you think you could still qualify? Because now you got a bunch of property. Mm-hmm. Your income, you're still working on a, like a T4 based income. I am. So yeah. that's to your advantage. Good, for, good work that shit to the bone. <laughs> yes. I'm, I'm in the software space as well. Too. Are you? Oh, so that, cool. So that's working okay. well. And yeah, the T4 is the reason why you can qualify for all the properties and hopefully via Butler that it won't be an issue. I don't believe it is. And we can just keep on going down this path. Yeah. The, the mortgage space is interesting because right now we're hearing rumors that, and this is just rumor for anyone listening to this, we're hearing rumors that BMO might go back into the mortgage broker channel. So that would be interesting. Okay. Um, yeah. Because it'll just give mortgage brokers more options. And we're and now, I think it was a couple of weeks ago, TD allowed mortgage brokers to do credit lines on TD mortgages that they had sold. Where in the past, mm. if you got a TD mortgage, you had to go to the branch to do the credit line. Right. But it was useful to get mortgage brokers who knew you what you were trying to accomplish to help you get the credit line because the credit line was often the source of funds for your next purchase. Yes. So, so yeah. they're getting a few more tools that are rather interesting right now. We'll see if the BMO one works out or not. But Mike, where are you going to take Jatinder next? Is it still Hamilton, St. Catharines? Is it still the same kind of duplex property opportunity? What What are you thinking? I know he's going to have his own ideas, but what's crossing your mind? Yeah. And, and sorry, just to go back to follow up on the banks, and then you got the B lenders, if, and none of the banks work out, that the B lenders are lending for 2.99, mm-hmm. which is incredibly low. Like, it's never been that low with the B lender before. So yeah, Is that what more the B lender are? Yeah. I had it in my head 3.69, no, 2.99. 2.99. 2.99. Yes. Yeah. So yeah. There's, Holy there's shit. Several more options out there now. Um, and with Jatinder, just he has the conversions on his plate. We still have to close on one more. Next week. Yeah, but okay. a couple are still being converted. And then I'll let Jatinder uh, take the ball on where he wants to go yeah, where, moving wh- forward. Yeah, where are you going to go next? Stay, same thing, Hamilton, St. Catharines? I, I will be, yeah, absolutely. And I think about the next stage of, of my evolution, and I'm trying to figure out how do I help others succeed in this in this path, right? Like there is such a large opportunity in front of us and we let our own mind get in our way, right? So if I think of going down the joint venture path around educating others to work with me and then we can keep on continuing down this path, that's probably the first immediate step that I want to take. Yeah, uh, yeah, awesome. I sometimes freak out when I think of the opportunity in it. Sometimes Nick and I will look at the Toronto population stats and we're like, Nick, holy shit, look at this. Toronto's like number one or worst case number three in North America. We're in the third fastest growing city. And then if you look at the immigration that we get in here, right. we're, four, we're three or four times bigger than New York, uh, New Jersey area in immigration. And the immigration that we get in here is such high caliber immigration. Educated immigrants coming in usually with money, driving the real estate market. They have first year rent, ready to go. Yeah, yeah. is that what you're finding? Yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah. so we're, we, we were sitting in the middle of this opportunity here where sometimes I'm thinking, why does not everybody see this? Like sometimes right. I feel like standing on the top of the office here going, 
holy shit, would you pay attention to what's going on? But then at the same time, when I was in my career, when you're climbing the corporate ladder, trying to get that next raise and you're busy with a young family, you could have screamed at me all day long. And if I wasn't ready to hear it, I, I'm not ready. Like, I'm just That's not going to hear it. That's what it and is. it was the frustration in my life. So I don't know if you have any frustration in, in your life or if it was just the COVID pause that allowed you to kind of analyze things. For me in the, in the software world, I was, I was literally getting sick every month trying to hit a uh, monthly, we weren't doing quarterly closes and that's we were doing monthly closes. I was getting sick every month. Mm -hmm. And that was when I had to take a time out because I had put too much pressure on myself. Like I was breaking as an individual. And I thought this isn't the life, I can't extrapolate this forward. Like I'm in my, I was 30, 31, 32. I'm like, Nick, this thing that I've talked about doing, I'm gonna have to do it. I cannot do this. I can't live this life. Mm -hmm. This is wrong. So I had that moment where I was gonna break. And I think every day for those moments. So anyone who's frustrated out there in their lives know that that's usually the catalyst for change and embrace that frustration and the energy that comes from that because it's powerful. Did yeah. you have the frustration or was it just that, that nice pause where you could just analyze things a little bit? I think it was the pause for me. But if I really think about what you just said, yeah, people, you got to experience like great tragedy or, you know, suffer a lot in order to be like, aha, uh -huh, I need to do something different. But why not flip that switch and view it as there's always an opportunity and inspiration in front of us right now in our positive states of mind and use that as fuel, right? Versus being like, I lost my job or COVID hit and, you know, stuff hit the fan. I can't do anything. Yeah. Or it's like, you know, I'm in a really bad relationship and I'm going to get divorced. Why use that as fuel? Why not use every day and what's in front of us as fuel? Because it's all right here, right now, right? Yeah, good like for you. You shouldn't yeah. have to use tragedy or suffering as a way to do something in your life. You, yeah. you shouldn't. Yeah, I, I, I agree. Do you look at some of the population numbers? Does that get you excited about this area in real estate as well? Or, or are we just crazy when we look at that shit? No, 100%. Yeah, I've looked at all the stats, stats Canada stuff, all the immigration reports. Uh, that's just table stakes at this point. It's just a really quick Google search and just look at it. You get it, process, and now keep on investing. Yeah, got it. Mike, it's going to be interesting to see as Jed Tinder goes down this path, what he does next. Because I can't, we, we meet very few people like him. So it's going to be interesting to see how this extrapolates forward. Yeah. Because oh, I can't yeah, picture definitely. it exactly. Because I feel like he is going to help other people and do other things. And, <laughs> but I don't know where this leads for him. At one point, he was giving the general contractor a schedule. Like, hey, here's where your trades need to be on this particular data. <laughs> <laughs> so you were being project manager for the GC. Yeah, awesome. exactly. Which, which I, did, really, I didn't want to do. I'm yeah. sure they appreciated that very much. Yeah. Thank you, Jatinder. Yeah. I'll appreciate it. I'm you. helping him to help me, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. totally. But totally. It, it was out of a place of, of love and opportunity. It's like, this is how, it's good, I, how I can help scale and fuel your business. This is what your customers will expect. And by the way, we're sort of getting delayed. So let's, let's do this, yeah, right? Yeah, totally. Yeah, I'm sure are some of them becoming your friends? These uh -huh. contractors? Yeah. Yeah, you're giving enough business out now. So where do we wrap this up, Mike? I don't know what you, if there's anything you're thinking. What's what's on your mind? Where do you take this? What's 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 next for Jatinder Gill? Like, uh, like if you want to say anything. What? Yeah, I just think uh, um, we're at a point now where uh, Jatinder has uh, approached me and just basically stated, hey, if there's anybody that wants to get involved in like a legal second suite conversion but just doesn't have the time, that he's fully there to help out um, in regards to doing a joint venture with, uh, with an investor. And I, and I think that's very honorable that you would offer to do that because I've seen you and, and how methodical you are with the entire process from property selection, running numbers, working with trades and whatnot. So you'd be taking all of that off of an investor's plate. So they would just be putting up the money. You'd be doing all the work. 
and then you you have a, 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 a joint venture agreement with them, which is which is nice. And, and Mike, just as we're yeah. we're starting to close here before your Tinder, we get to your thoughts. Um, your book, Wealth Won't Wait, if anyone's listening to this and you want stories like Jatinder's of Canadians taking action, Mike, you've documented that in, the, that in your book so beautifully. You can get it on Amazon, correct? Correct, yeah. You can get it on Amazon. It's called Wealth Won't Wait by Mike DeZormo. Is it Michael DeZormo? Uh, Mike DeZormo. Oh, it's Mike yeah. DeZormo. Mike DeZormo. Um, it's just a great read because it's so full of local stories. It's not theory. You're sharing the actual story. So if you're listening to this and not quite ready to get started, but you want to learn... That's a great place to start. So uh, it's yeah. Kindle, paperback, and now Audible as well. Oh, is it Audible? You read mm. it? Yes. That's all done. Yes, it's done. Yeah. Oh it's my done god. It up. Yeah. Cool. I can't listen to myself speak. I can't listen to these podcasts. <laughs> I hear myself speak. I freak out. But uh, Jatinder. So Mike, thanks for that. Jatinder. Yeah. yeah. What's what comes to mind as we wrap up here? Yeah. If I could give any any value to the viewers, I, I really think about. It comes back to a few points I talked about before. So your productivity, your prosperity, your future as an individual, it all comes down to what's ultimately inside of you, right? So whatever fears, whatever ego, whatever insecurity that you have, that's actually preventing you from, from crafting your own masterpiece, which, which is your life. So you are the painter of your life, right? And I think of three specific tactics in terms of that, right? So number one is, is let go. So whatever is holding you back, whatever fear that you have, figure out what that is and, and let it go. And there's many tactics to, to approach that. Number two is, you know, once you let go of something, you need to think about, I need to move on, right? When I think of moving on, it's all around the present moment. So our entire life is our days in miniature. So literally what we do every day, the conversations that we have, you know, our progress that we're making in our life, it's not a milestone, it's what we're doing here right now. So once you let go, move on. And then third is it's don't wait. So basically start approaching every single aspect of your life and don't wait. You don't have to. I'm not saying be reckless and just make wrong financial decisions. It's saying whatever you want to do spiritually, emotionally, physically, financially, don't wait. When you think about the real estate market, look what's happening in front of us right now. And it's so unfortunate people do not know what's going on. So like to that point, if you want to do something, call Rockstar and, and, and make it happen because there is so much money available in every avenue of your life. Just don't wait. Take action. Make some mistakes. Reflect and just keep on moving forward. Yeah, very cool. Thanks for sharing it like that. Life is abundance for sure. Yeah. Really pleasure to get to know you better, Jatinder. If, if Likewise, someone's listening yeah. to this, how do you know, is there, I don't know, it, what, what's the contact? In, are you handing out contact information to reach you? Sure, yeah. Yeah, what is it? It's jatindergill.ca. So J A T I N D E R G I L L.ca. Just my website, and then my social handles are on there as well. So if they want to reach out to you on the website through either the social uh, handles there or on the website, there's a way to reach you. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, more than happy to help out and discuss anything. And now it's about how do I give back and just share and educate and hopefully inspire. Yeah, really cool. Thank you for sharing all this. Really appreciate this, guys. And then we have to bring you back because we didn't talk about Bitcoin. We got the real estate thing. Right? <laughs> so now we have to bring to Tinder and Mike back. We have to do round two because we have to talk about a whole, a whole bunch of stuff around money. What is money and a whole other conversation that we have to have. But we'll leave that for another day. So for sure. uh, 
Thank you uh, so much. Appreciate this, guys. Thank you. Hey, everyone. So hopefully you enjoyed that chat with Jatinder Gill and Mike DeZormo. As I mentioned, just love chatting with uh, with investors like Jatinder who are so willing to share their story. I'm so happy that Mike jumped on and, and shared his experiences with Jatinder as they went and, and acquired those properties together. And if you are listening to this and you want to get started, but you want some information to di- digest first, you can get free digital copies of our books at rockstarinnercircle.com forward slash books. That's rockstarinnercircle.com forward slash books. We have several different books there outlining all the different strategies we've used over the years. They are free for you at rockstarinnercircle.com forward slash books. That's it for this episode. Until next time, your life, your terms.